The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up, with host Carol Oglesby. This program explores the historical roots that women's sport has taken in the past half century, from light competition to collegiate, professional, and Olympic sports today. Now, here is your host, Carol Oglesby. Welcome, welcome, everyone. We've come to the end of our series, Women in Sport, The Long Road Up. And our guests today are positioned to share perceptions of the journey and, most importantly, the way forward from here. Our our guests are coming from Philadelphia and Tennessee in the U.S. and in Botswana. So kudos to our engineers uh, from Voice America for the magic here. Our guests are going to be speaking about progress and setbacks in the racially diverse USA and then giving an overview of progress within the supercontinent of our planet, Africa. Gaborone, Botswana is the 2018 site of the next meeting of the global women's sport community at the 7th World Congress of the International Working Group of Women in Sport, the IWG. One of the important legacies of that conference is stimulation of the growth of women's sport across Africa and the fruits of that effort of the Botswanans are already being seen. So in this first segment, I think it's important for our listeners to meet the guests, our guests, and get a sense of the background of work that brings them to this moment. So I'm going to ask each of you to begin with describing just what you're doing at this time in relation to girls and women's sport, a little job description, if you will, of your role in researching or administrating or promoting women's sport development. So let's go Alpha, Ellen, uh, Boitumelo, and then Changu. So Alpha, how about starting us off? Okay, I think uh, primarily a very short job description of what I've done over my career has been uh, representing community-based organizations uh, in terms of assessing uh, development of women in sport uh, in the United States. Uh, being the co-founder of the Black Women's Sport Foundation, uh, particularly uh, we have focused on really assessing minority girls and women in sport. Thanks, Alpha. Ellen? Um, First of all, I'm Carol and Alpha. It's just such a um, pleasure to be on with you as uh, tremendous mentors for me over the years. So um, this is a very special opportunity uh, to be on with both of you. Um, In terms of the work that I've done, um, right now I'm, I'm a researcher and a professor Um, And um, I have the great opportunity to teach a course in the legal foundations of Title IX um, to aspiring coaches and um, sport management majors. Um, And in addition to that, I've also done uh, a fair amount of research work, um, primarily in terms of uh, women who compete um, in uh, the college sports sector in the United States. Okay, our next two folks are from the leadership team of the uh, Secretariat for the IWG in Botswana. So, Boitumelo Kenosi, would you go first, please? 
Yes, I am basically with the Secretariat, as you've mentioned, Carol. Well, let me just start by saying thank you very much for affording us this opportunity. Um, I am the marketing and PR manager, so I am in charge of the whole communications component of the of the Secretariat for the four years that the IWG will be hosted here. So I... I'm directly tasked with um, information dissemination, managing information for the network, including media management, including how we am making sure that you know we reach all corners of the world, and 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 um, support the structures of women in sport. Um, yeah. Very I will good. I'll just hand over to Chang to just give us. Hello, Carol and everybody else. Uh, my name is Changu Siwawa. I am very grateful for this opportunity that we've been given as IWG to um, record this very important interview. I also work with the IWG Secretariat, and I am a resource mobilization manager responsible for um, attracting um, both technical and financial partnerships to IWG, and those can be local as well as international partnerships, um, partnerships that are aligned with the mandate that we have, um, as well as partnerships, like I said, financial partnerships, um, companies, organizations that are you know, promoting women's participation in sport or see a value to you know, women participating in sport um, alongside their, their company and their profits and how that can be um, aligned to each other. Very good. Well, I hope everybody who's listening um, has the idea that I do, that we have four big deals on the line here, and uh, I'm very grateful for that for our closing show. Uh, let's go backwards now a bit to the beginnings for each of you in sport. So I want to look at your sport involvement at this time. So when you were a young girl, um, how was it that you got introduced to sport? And what kinds of sport, if any, did you participate in? And um, did you come and go with that? Or was it pretty continual all the way through um, your your youth? So uh, how about let's let's have our people from Botswana to speak first. So Boitumelo and, and Changu, will you tell us a little bit about your sports backgrounds as girls? Okay, thank you very much, um, Carol. I, I always say to people that I, I used to play, uh, or I used to be in the athletics um, team in primary school, nobody seems to believe me, but I was very athletic, you know, growing up in primary school. I was very um, sporty, and, and, and I participated in a lot of sport. I also um, was a wing attack in, in netball, um, a game that might not be, or sport that might not be known in the U.S., but... Um, it's, it's quite similar in a way to basketball. So I played um, netball. But however, when I then got to um, secondary school, so I was probably at around 12, 13 at this point, I, it, my enthusiasm for sport didn't last too long because of the pressures of, 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 of being a, a teenager, a female teenager. It wasn't, for lack of a better term, you know, playing sport was not cool really. And, you know, the, the school I went to, you know, did not um, promote or encourage, you know, continuation into sport. You, you basically had to have, 
you know, the the, the motivation, the self motivation, or have um, the support of your parents. And so I I didn't have either one of those. So I, I wound up, you know, dropping sport. And and it's only um, now that I'm trying to that I'm in sport in, in in sports administration. I see the value that sport brings to one's life. You know. Um, in, in, in all aspects and, 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 you know, just seeing how participation really, you know, develops somebody holistically that I, I you know, I, I'm trying to go back and encouraging those that are coming before me, um, after me to, to, to go into sport. But that, that's where my background really is with sport. Well, I always say to people, hand, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, never, it's, it it's, it's, it's to never too Lola. late. Yeah, I think my account is not that very different from from Shangu's. Um, in the formative years, when we were still at primary school, you you'd find that there was a lot of sports that you'd sort of be forced into, especially with athletics. And then I played a bit of netball, and the secondary school, the same thing, sort of um, sort of the same pattern, sort of continued. I played a bit. I did a bit of athletics, and I did. Um, I then joined table tennis, which became my sport for the longest. Um, but at some point, especially when we go to tertiary level, I dropped sport basically because it was now, in the words of the parents and everybody else around us, it was about now you need to concentrate on getting your degree and sport is a distraction. So. We basically have a similar background, and we find us, I find myself years later back in the whole sports world and realizing the true value that comes with being a sports person and appreciating it, unfortunately. Oh, fortunately, I don't know. It's, it's, for, for some of us, it's a bit too late to try and, you know, go pro, but we, we have the opportunity to at least influence the people that come from, from, from um, behind us. So Very basically, that's, that's it with me and sport. Um, right now, I try and keep as active as possible. I do a lot of um, the Zumba. I run a lot, but um, that's it. Very good. Very good. Ellen, how about you? Um, I'm so glad that you've asked this question this summer. Um, I... <laughs> was born an athlete, um, and um, my mother was a physical education major at Ursinus College, which is a small liberal arts college outside of Philadelphia. And one of its distinctions um, as a progressive institution was it offered varsity athletics for women in 1923 which was well before the wave of um, most women participating in varsity sports in the United States. So with my mother having graduated from Ursinus, um, she uh, created an atmosphere for all of her children, and I'm one of eight children. Um, and so we just... Um, had the opportunity to be active and involved um, in all manner of sports, literally from the time that we were born. And the reason why this is so special for me to be talking about this right now is 
that um, she's going to be inducted posthumously um, into the Ursinus um, Athletic Hall of Fame um, in just a few weeks um, because she was quite a remarkable athlete um, playing um, post-World War II um, here in the U.S. Um, she was captain of three teams, um, and she was always the anchor of those teams and um, was really quite accomplished. So in many ways, um, personally, I carry on her work. Um, and then um, I also um, have had the opportunity of um, uh, uh, carrying forward um, this important message um, for so many women um, and girls throughout the United States. What a wonderful story. I'm so happy for her, Ellen. That's great. Um, Alpha, I know enough about you to know you've got quite an athletic history, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I think it's uh, very interesting to end with me. Um, in high school, elementary, <clears throat> middle school, I had no opportunity uh, to participate in sports, but um uh, during being an only child and um, having my parents, my uh, father uh, made me aware and I participated recreationally in tennis and softball. When I got an opportunity to go to college, uh, which was the magical year of 1972, when Title IX was actually uh, approved as a law in the United States, fortunately I had the opportunity to go to the College of Worcester, which is located in Worcester, Ohio, some private school. But at that time, they had 13 sports on that campus for women. And so through the participation uh, on the college campus, I had a chance to participate in tennis, basketball, volley, and also lacrosse, and really helped develop a track and field program at that institution. Okay, Alpha, thank you. Um, I think we've got here a really common uh, and recurring pattern over the programs that um, that ha- have been uh, a part of this series, where some people come from a background where sport was viewed as a de- distraction and something that girls moved away from at a certain point in time, a lot of times around adolescence. And then another concept, maybe a little bit more recent, that sport is a big life skills uh uh, environment and so uh, more encouragement to stay with sport. Uh, we've got just a couple of minutes before break time, but I want to f- see if anybody wants to chime in on when it was that you began, uh, that you got the notion that this was not going to be an easy journey. There were a lot of obstacles for women in sport. L- let me start with my folks uh, that are coming from Africa. When did you get a sense of the obstacles? Did it come pretty early? I'd say, um, like I said, when we, primary school age, school going ages at between six and ten, you know, we, we got introduced to sport and we sort of were pushed into every sport that was there. A limited sport most of the time, you'd find that we'd have football only for boys and you'd have um, netball played by girls and a lot of athletics. Everybody was sort of shoved into taking part in, in, in athletics. Other than that, as you as you grow older and, you know, the options became became um, a bit more, but like I said, it, it now becomes, it became an issue of 
do I do I now go for sport or do I choose to concentrate on my on my studies? Which in in, in back then the view was that you know if you if you are a sports person then you can't be able to to you know be able to succeed in in in, in terms of your academics and stuff like that. So I think that was the biggest deterrent for me. It was one of those things that. You know, you you were you were given a picture such that it's one of the other, one or the other. You can't have both of them. There was mm-hmm. no way of balancing the two. Um, I don't know if I, if I can blame it on the system or it, it was just the way that our parents were orientated. So that's that's how they 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 sort of guided us, and eventually the choice had to be your studies because you you know. You, you, we were taught to believe that an education will get you a job, and a job will get you somewhere in life. Whereas, you know, athletics has never really, or sport has never really helped anybody get where, anywhere in life. Um, I think the patterns are changing slowly, but back then that was that was um, the picture. How 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 the whole thing was viewed. All right, very good. We're going to take a short break now. I'm going to pick up on the other side of the break. Um, Alpha, Ellen, maybe you could just give a really brief uh, concept about when it was that you started seeing the obstacles. But we're going to take a short break now. And when we return, for the most part, we're going to focus on the important work our guests are doing on the long road up. us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Carol Oglesby has a documented commitment to performance enhancement and development of positive embodiment along the full age and ability spectrum. She has created sport community-based programs that empower, educate, motivate in a sports plus model. She has worked with elite athletes who have experienced injury, burnout, and challenged relationships with coaches and teammates. She is a life coach dedicated to aid in the rediscovery of clarity, purpose, and joy in clients. Call Carol today at 818-324-2957. That's 818-324-2957. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up. To reach Carol Oglesby or her guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, We're just going to finish up with this last question about when awareness really landed um, that there were some special obstacles for uh, girls and women involved in sport. Um, Alpha, Ellen, any comments? Was it preteen, teen, college? When when did it dawn or or maybe even earlier than preteen? I don't know. What what would your answer be on that? Uh, Carol, my answer would be this, that uh, it was very simple. I knew something was very uh, funny when I didn't see anybody else like me participating in tennis, volleyball, and very minimal in terms of basketball. So the image of minority women participating, 
I didn't see anybody like me. So in my life, I felt that I had to go forward to really try to increase the participation of minority women in sport and the visibility of that. All right, let's go on into the work area. That's uh, really the focus of this second segment. Um, Alpha, I'm going to ask you to keep on going here. As you mentioned, you've been very involved with the U.S. Olympic Committee community-based organizations, beginning with the role that you had with the YWCA of the USA. Um, Could you tell us a a little bit about that work and then and then finish up with all the community involvements that you have in your hometown, Morristown, Tennessee. Uh, yes, um, I represented uh, the YWCA of the USA on the United States Olympic Committee. And through that organization, um, I think this past uh, two weeks really testify in terms of how we really promoted uh, the involvement of women in sport. Uh, If you had a chance to uh, really see the United States fencing team, uh, three of those athletes were produced out of an organization that we really gave the idea and really started was the Peter Westbrook Foundation. Three of those athletes come from that organization that we begin in New York City. Uh, Besides that, Wendy Hilliard Foundation, uh, she has been an inspiration and a role model of accessibility of minority women in sport in Harlem, of the development of girls in rhythmic gymnastics and gymnastics. I've had a chance to also be the co-founder of Black Women's Sports Foundation, and we have done a lot of work in the Philadelphia area and also nationwide on producing uh, women in sport and really allowing accessibility for those girls into uh, what we call non-traditional sports, so tennis and lacrosse and field hockey. And I think a testament of the performance of the United States in this past two weeks in Rio uh, really can account for that we are beginning to see emergence of women in all aspects of uh, women in sport in the Olympic movement, but as well as you're beginning to see people, as I indicated before, just like me. I've had the pleasure of uh, continuing my career to go on after the YWC of the USA had a chance to serve at a predominantly black institution as an athletic director, which was over both men and women's sport. In fact, placing a men's football team on uh, ESPN. But consequently, right here locally in the hills of Marshtown, Tennessee, in the Smoky Mountains, I've had a pleasure of being appointed by the mayor to head up the Marshtown Task Force on Diversity. And we have created uh, several events in honor of Martin Luther King on his birthday, developing Olympic Day in the park, and having Carly Piper and Eric Holden from the Olympic team to come and celebrate and to do various types of uh, activities in this town uh, to really honor minorities. Well, Alpha, I noticed how you slipped in a little advertisement for the Smoky Mountains there. That was very cool. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Ellen, you're a professor of sport management, as you mentioned, um, at Drexel, and uh, you have just published this textbook on women in sports. So maybe tell us about the book and your hopes for its impact uh, in the marketplace and, and in a wider circle. Yeah. 
Um, Carol, thanks so much. And, and of course, um, what a delight to be sharing this moment with you because um, you um, have um, had such a tremendous um, contribution to the book um, uh, with your important chapter on the influence of religion and politics on women's sport. And I can't imagine a better person to write about that particular topic. Um, uh, and, you know, when we look at um, the history of women's sport, um, it always seems as if we're dealing with, um, uh, you know, this incredible story of um, progress um, as well as um, dealing with um, ambivalence at the, t- at the same time. Um, women uh, want to soar in athletics, and at the same time, we, we also seem to confront um, a number of um, barriers along the way as well. And so um, what I attempted to do um, in this um, text, on, uh, which is entitled Women in Sport, Continuing a Journey of Liberation and Celebration, is really capture some of that um, history connected to the present um, and then um, really provide an expansive overview um, of um, as many issues as um, we could address um, that we think will really help people to envision um, uh, an exciting uh, and continuing story of women's sport um, that will um, allow the, uh, allow us all to fulfill um, our full promise. Um, and so we're looking um, at um, uh, gender differences and what those mean and how we uh, create equitable um, spaces for participation. Um, we're, uh, uh, there's uh, a number of chapters um, dealing with um, uh, women of color, um, gender identity and sexual orientation, um, sport and aging, um, women with disabilities in sport, um, and um, the issue of women's sport and sexual violence. Um, and then we're also looking at how the industry has changed and um, how we see women um, in a variety of leadership capacities um, and the marketing of women's sport um, and, and how it's treated in the media. So it really is um, an expansive text that we hope is really going to influence um, uh, uh, the leaders of sport um, who are coming through school systems right now, um, but also anybody else who's interested in women in sport. Um, so um, so that's uh, an overview of the book itself. And, you know, we hope that we can provide as much information as possible um, to support um, people in, um, in, in working towards um, equity for girls and women. I'm sure it was a, a long and uh, torturous process. Uh, when, when did you start, just for a little uh, inside yeah. moment well, here? you know, I, I had been teaching a course in gender issues in sport. Um, it was one of the only courses that was taught to sport management majors. Um, back in the uh, mid-1990s. Um, and so I, I, I had that idea all the way back in the mid-1990s, but um, uh, really took the project on about um, four years ago. And it was four years um, of a labor of love um, to bring it to fruition. And, and we have some incredibly um, wonderful contributors. Um, we have uh, Dr. Vicki Crane from... Um, uh, from Bowling Green and um, uh, uh, Mary Hums, who I know has been on this show, 
um, and um, one of my former students, um, Corinne Farnetti from Mount St. Mary's, um, uh, and Maureen Smith, who I know that uh, that you know. So um, it, we really have um, a whole cast of tremendous experts, and um, we have Jacqueline McDowell um, from uh, George Mason, um, and um, Akila uh, Francie Carter from um, uh, from Texas A and M. Um, so uh, we, I've been very very fortunate to have so many wonderful women contributing to the book. Mm-hmm. Very good. Thanks. Uh, uh, Ellen and Alpha, I hope both of you will help me to um, try to make sure that all these people that we're dealing with uh, on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis are going to come to Botswana in 2018 for the World Congress. It's going to be a fantastic program. And I'm so happy that Boitumelo and Changu are here to talk about that program um, now. We're very sorry. Uh, Hame. Uh, Mothibi, who is the Secretary General of the Secretariat, is ill and and so was not able to be on the program today. Changu, uh, thank you so much for coming in uh, at the last minute. But um, the two of you are both uh, key leaders, as I mentioned, of the IWG Secretariat. So uh, give us a little storyline here about how it was that Botswana decided to bid for this event, which is a major uh, commitment, Um, your plans for the conference and the legacies, and, and how is it going? So just take a little bit of time and tell us about the 2018 event. Okay. Thank you very much, Carol. Um, the first question was why Botswana decided to bid. And um, as a country, we have always been actively involved in IWG since its inception in 1994. And so we've always felt the need to send a delegation to each conference. And it was actually um, from IWG that Botswana decided to set up a local structure called um, Women in Sport um, Botswana. Um, and um, loosely termed WASBO. Um, so it was, you know, a structure under the Botswana National Sport Commission that was commissioned to look at um, women's participation in sport. However, um, the, the the local structure was really not moving forward, you know, in terms of, you know, being able to influence policy. Um, there were no programs for women and girls in sport, uh, and so, um, at the Botswana National Sport Commission, you know, one of the 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 the, the officers, you know, who is now our Secretary General, saw the opportunity for IWG to be hosted for the next host. The bid um, document was out from Helsinki, and um, she then rallied support from um, the board and and and, and other stakeholders um, in Botswana. You know, looking at you know the influence or the benefits of hosting IWG for the country, not only just for the country, but also um, for Africa. Um, looking at you know when you compare Africa with with other with uh, with with other um, regions, you know there are structures in place. I'll give an example with Europe. You know, there's a, an, an active European Women in Sport structure, but and it's looking at you know advancing women's participation in sport. But in Africa, there was no such uh, there was no such structure, and so that was also uh, a catalyst to why we we felt the need as a country to bid for um, IWG and. So we we then rallied the support from um, national um, sports codes, 
Um, it, it, we also rallied support for the Botswana National Olympic Committee, the Ministry of um, Sport and Culture, then, you know, put in the bid on our behalf. Um, looking at, you know, also just positioning Botswana as a best practice in terms of advancing women's participation in sport. And so it was from that um from that desire to, to see the benefits that could, you know, spill over, you know, from uh, spill over from Botswana in, into the continent, and you know, looking at you know best practice, you know, uh, um, um, looking at you know America and the structures that they have in in, in place, you know, um, and so it, it was that that uh, um, caused us to go out and and, and bid for it. And then, um, so then we, we, we then looked at how do we, you know, push Africa forward and, 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 you know, a technical working group was put in place, you know, that would look at the functionality of, you know, a structure in Africa. And, 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 and it was also from that technical working group that, you know, it was decided to have a conference, which we're having in October, an up, uh, a conference on the 14th to the 15th of October, Africa Women in Sport Conference, which will look at, you know, you know, issues, topical issues in the continent that affect, you know, issues that affect women and girls' participation globally, but but issues that are, are really, you know, unique to the continent. If you look at issues of patriarchy, you know, that are very much still entrenched in our culture, and how do we break those barriers? So that is the, you know, that, that is the, the theme for the for the conference is reshaping Africa women in sport. Um, it, it's also an opportunity for us to. Um, to 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 practice or have a dry run of our systems for in 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 reading you know the country and Africa for 2018 because we also want to have you know um, people come and present in in 2018 you know from Africa looking at issues that that affect women's participation in in Africa. And then in terms of um, our plans for the conference, you know, we 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 are very much led by our board and, and, and we take direction from them. And it was at the last um, annual general meeting that, you know, themes were put together, um, you know, just throwing around ideas of, of themes that we can have. And it, from, from, those, from that gathering, it was very um, evident that we didn't want to have, you know, do business as usual. You know, we didn't want to have you know, the same issue, discussing the same issues or, or harping on, on what media is not doing, but, you know, looking at creative ways of packaging recurring issues, you know, um, you know, also looking at things like, you know, some, some experiences, um, some things have remained the same, you know, however some societal experiences have changed, you know, so looking at topical issues of, like, migration, if you look at the migration crisis in Europe and, um, you know the communities in crisis, and how does that affect women's participation in sport? And and if you if you recall, just just in the ended Olympics, you know there was a refugee team that was put together by the IOC. You know, so so you're looking at those issues that they're, they're, that they're you know potential you know athletes that are that are migrating to different areas, and how does that affect their participation? We also uh, um, very Changu, much start, want to Changu. align. Ourselves. Our, our theme is determine the future, be part of the change. 
you know so we want to see you know what we want to see in the future so so it's not just about what's happening now but what what kind of future do we want to see for women's <clears throat> women's sport and and how do we want to see that you know so we're looking at action words of community of creating you know creating change creating you know favorable environments and so that is the uh, idea for the conference Hello. and also we want to very much align ourselves to the sustainable development goals and how sport comes in to influence um the you know the SDGs and how we can we sport can can be used as a tool to reach those SDGs in 2030 so that is very much you know where where we see ourselves going in in the next two years leading up to 2018 and so those are you know those are some of the so the legacies we have like a three pronged legacy plan so we have a legacy for the country for Botswana and some of the legacies that like i said is looking into policies and looking doing a policy audit and seeing if the policies that we have really you know encourage women to, to participate are they policies that protect women you know uh particularly if you look at things like you know sexual harassment is a, is a key issue in in sport in Botswana an issue that has never really been discussed it's it's there uh, but it's it's always swept under the carpet you know for fear about you know the issues that affect them you know some of the the athletes are thinking if i go and report this this might affect you know my livelihood because some of the athletes actually you know support their families with the with the allowances that they get on on the different um on the when they go out to, on the different competitions that they participate in you know so we're looking Changu, at you know, Changu, really hello hello Sorry, I need to break in. We we have to take a break here. Uh, we'll we'll pick up with your last thoughts on that uh, in just a few moments. Um, okay. So hang with us on the long road up. us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Carol Oglesby has a documented commitment to performance enhancement and development of positive embodiment along the full age and ability spectrum. She has created sport community-based programs that empower, educate, motivate in a sports plus model. She has worked with elite athletes who have experienced injury, burnout, and challenged relationships with coaches and teammates. She is a life coach dedicated to aid in the rediscovery of clarity, purpose, and joy in clients. Call Carol today at 818-324-2957. That's 818-324-2957. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up. To reach Carol Oglesby or her guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. We're going to finish our last uh, segment on looking at the future the people that are on as our guests are the leaders of what's going on today. So let's see what their views are about what's happening in the, in the way forward. 
I, I think we all agree that the long history of sport has seen participation was often a privilege of an upper middle or an upper class minority that had access to means and also just the time to participate. So now, now what are we seeing? To what extent, in your view, is sport becoming more of a right of all citizens, regardless of age or race, ethnicity, gender, or even ability? Um, so let's start, um, Alpha and Ellen, uh, with that question. What, what kind of gains have been made, do you think, if any? Well, I think, uh, as I alluded earlier in the conversation, uh, we have seen a lot of evidence, uh, particularly with the success of the United States um, Olympic team in this past Rio Games. But I, I do want to uh, uh, call attention uh, that um, sport participation is extremely expensive, and the more programs such as Peter Westbrook uh, Foundation and Wendy Hilliard's program that has made an impact in non-traditional sports, the accessibility is free. And um, it costs a lot in terms of sacrifice of parents and transportation to him from to be able to be trained in, in those particular sports, the equipment costs, and we could go on and on and on. Um, so that's what I have to say about that. Mm-hmm. Ellen? Um, Carol, I, I think it's really a, a mixed bag. Um, on one hand, I, I think we've seen such tremendous progress in terms of the number of girls and women um, who have the opportunities that were just not there years ago. Um, and there is a different mindset. Um, female athletes are no longer, um, in, in the United States, are no longer the exception to the rule. Um, there are many, many um, girls and women who are competing and playing at all levels. At the same time, though, what we also see is we see that um, the the equal access to sport is not something that exists across um, racial lines, um, across socioeconomic status. Um, And so um, we do have um, uh, whole groups, um, some groups, um, that um, even, even if we accept that sport is a human right, um, that um, that they still don't have access, um, and um, either they don't have the coaching or the resources within their neighborhoods, um, or um, even the time to be able to participate um, because they have to go out and work, for example. Um, so, um, so I think there's much to um, point to to say that we've made a lot of progress. On the other hand, I think there's still uh, a great deal of work to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Changu and Boy Tumelo, um, if you want to speak mostly about Botswana, that's fine. Uh, Africa is such a huge uh, continent, and there's such difference from one area to the other. But to the extent that you can talk about uh, general patterns, do you think that there has been progress in getting young girls and uh, athletes and then older women into participation? Ha- have there been some gains, and, and where would we find that? I think generally um, sport is picking up as, you know, uh, not only for, I, I think, physical activity even. You know, uh, if you look globally, you know, people are getting more active, you know, and aligning themselves with physical activity for better health outcomes. Um, sport is also, you know, being recognized as a, a, a 
a tool for reaching key development outcomes, you know, development um, that is affecting, you know, women and girls. You know, if you're talking about, you know, access into education, you know, better health outcomes, you know, health outcomes that are feminized, you know, um, and, you know, looking at, you know, gender equality. So reaching some key development outcomes, sport is being seen as a vehicle to do that. And so I think, you know, the the the, the train has definitely left the station, albeit at a, at a slow, at a slow pace, at a pace that is probably not satisfactory to, to us. But I, I, I definitely think that you know more, you know more people are participating, more girls are participating in sport. You know, um, if you look at um, development, you know, organizations they're using sport as a way to get, you know, you know, to disseminate information, you know different, you know, information on different areas. So I think, you know, it's gaining traction, you know, at different levels. But like I said, you know, it's it's quite slow in in, in most cases. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's good to know that that the train has perhaps at least left the station. That is great to hear. Um, Let's go to the governance aspect. Um, I know that you know, I've been involved in sport myself uh, and and these kind of advocacy efforts for a long time. And, and I get so accustomed to seeing there's a typical picture that stands out in my mind. And it's a photo taken of the annual version of the Board of Governors of some governing body, softball, football, um, swimming, gymnastics, whatever, a picture of the governing board. And it's just like three or four rows of men in their suit and ties. And and so in the 20, 30 years ago, it was very rare that you would find the one woman um, perhaps standing someplace in the middle of the picture. Uh, now uh, the picture occasionally is changing a little bit. So I want to ask that as a question uh, in your perspectives. Let's start with Changu and Boitumelo. Um, in, in Africa, in, in the governing bodies uh, um, in your sport federations, to what extent are women being able to come in uh, on the leadership line? I think um, in in Botswana, I'll speak for Botswana. I think um, that the the landscape is is changing. You know, um, the Botswana National Sport Commission has just um, put in in place a, a, a sport. Uh, a sports act, and in the act, uh, there is a seat that has been set aside for, you know, somebody who's representing women in sports, Botswana, so WASPO, and 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 that's for a, a, a woman. And so there's been a quota, um, a quota in place to say that there should be a female put in there in in in, in the in in the board of directors, but. Um, it, it, it's it's just one seat, you know, amongst about you know eleven around, amongst eleven members. So it's that picture that you're talking about. And if you look at you know presidents and in, 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 and and secretary generals in in, in the, the national sports the sports codes, um, you see that those seats are occupied by by males, and you see females, you know. Being in in management in in in, in different organisations and management, there aren't any females. Like in in the Botswana National Sport Commission, for instance, in the management level, there's seven members of the management, and there's not a single female in there. But if you look at the the total workforce of the of you know sport or the commission, you know there's there's a lot of women in there, but they're in very um, low. 
they occupy very low um, positions. So we are digressing, I could say. I, I wouldn't say that we're, we're, we're progressing in terms of women in, in, in governance positions, you know, and, and I think it's only when we start to put into place, you know, quotas, um, then we will see some some sort of like sex, uh, women going into those positions. And, it's, and, and I think it's with quotas that, you know, it, culturally people will start to uh, value the the value that women bring to the table and the different skills that they that they bring into being in, in leadership positions. And so I think if those quotas are put in place slowly, you know, it will just become natural for women to be voted into those positions. So I would say right now we're, doing, we're not doing too well in terms of governance. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Alpha and Ellen, I know uh, we've all been fighting this battle for, for quite a couple of decades. Um, what, what is your viewpoint about making inroads into, as Changu was saying, um, into the higher level board positions? Well, I, I think um, since my involvement, I have seen growth, but there still needs to be much more growth on administration. Uh, through the USOC, uh, where I see the future impact of uh, women participating on the governance side, uh, I truly believe probably will be the athletes. As we know, these past uh, Rio games, um, more than uh, 50% of the uh, gold medals that were won were won by women. So I think down the line, uh, it is increasingly important that these women, as they get older, they become involved in the governance structure. But on the ILC level, I think they have a still a long, long way to go, Carol. Um, Alan, um, you're looking at things uh, quite often from an educational standpoint. Um, is there anything happening differently in our preparation system that might get women to move into these upper-level positions a little faster? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to be able to say yes to that, um, but what we're seeing in terms of even enrollment within the preparatory programs um, uh, for um, sport management positions, we're still seeing that same kind of gender breakdown um, where it, it's 70% men, 30% women. Um, so I think, um, I think somehow there needs to be um, a, a thought given to um, how to help girls and women really envision um, future careers in sport. Um, there are a couple of different programs that I think are, are beginning to address this in a couple of ways. Um, the, the Women's Sports Foundation, um, I know that um, uh, Marge and, uh, uh, and um, uh, Deborah Larkin were on talking about the Beyond the X's and O's study. I think those kinds of studies are important because they're helping to shed light on what um, the barriers are to female coaches um, in school settings. Um, uh, and along with that, though, I think we have public accountability mechanisms. Um, at the University of Minnesota, the Tucker Center has been issuing um, uh, grade reports 
on how schools are doing, and uh, the University of Central Florida, um, the, their Center for Diversity in Sport, has also done that as well. And I think that kind of information is very important um, as a public accountability check. And then I think what we also need to be doing is we need to be understanding that female athletes, by just simply being in an athletic setting, that by itself is not enough to get them to think about careers as leaders. Um, I do the symposium, um, the, the Snell Schillingford Symposium, um, which is targeting college uh, female athletes. And, we, uh, and we're trying to bridge that gap between how female athletes see their role in sport versus how they can begin to see their role as leaders in sport. And, um, and it really does take mentorship and um, additional conversations um, in order to help them to see themselves in those roles. Um, so I think it's a combination of a variety of things to help move this forward. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you all. Um, we just have about a minute left, so Changu and Boy Tumelo, whoever wants to speak now, uh, please give us the dates of the 2018 conference. I want to encourage everyone who's listening to put this on their calendar and be a part of that aspect of the future of women in sport. Tell us about the dates of the conference coming up in, in 2018. Yes, the conference will be held from the 17th to the 20th of May in 2018. It will be held in Khaburoni here in Botswana. So look at the IWG-GTI website. Uh, and and find out how to get in contact with the Secretariat and make your plans because I hope uh, I'll be seeing everyone there on the long road up. Thank you for listening to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up. Please join Carol Oglesby for another edition next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have an amazing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.